0: Did I surprise you? It's, um, this letter that, uh, Peter's written is about, uh, getting us to think about suffering is not a surprise. And, um, I don't know how you cope during suffering. Uh, many people crumble at even just the thought of, uh, of, of hard times or pain. Um, others rise to the occasion, but most of us probably somewhere in between. Peter's encouragement to his Christian readers is one of perseverance in faith. It isn't enough for us to simply get up every morning and uh, trudge through each day. Neither is it, is it sort of advisable to paste smiles on our face and sort of pretend that everything's okay and ignore the troubles. Instead, the lesson of 1 Peter is that we should push through our trials both recognizing their presence in our lives and walking in holiness of people of faith so let's press on it's in the darkest times that our collective light shines together persecution comes in many different forms although it could be argued that Christians in Australia uh, don't are not actually being persecuted for example we we have freedom to gather and worship freely um we can we can meet in public places we can join the army we can teach uh, we have a right to vote um, we could be a prime minister. Um, Christians own a vast um, vast amount of institutions and we 're still the largest religious affiliation in the country according to the two thousand and sixteen census at fifty two percent Whereas in contrast to other parts of the world where, uh, where being discovered as a Christian in, in North Korea is considered hostile. Hostile to the state and often results in a time of forced labour labor camp. Uh, it is equally life-threatening to be a Christian in Afghanistan or Somalia, parts of Sudan, Libya and Pakistan. Just to name a few countries where such threats exist. Simply owning a Bible in some parts of the world is a liability to one's life. Yet in saying that, regardless of where you live, every Christian who lives a godly life, as being obedient to God, experiences some kind of pers- persecution. In Australia, well, it may be maybe on the, at the job, it might be uh, at school, maybe in the neighbourhood, uh, perhaps even in the family. There are people who resist the truth and oppose the gospel of Christ. So, matter, so no matter what, you know, whatever you say, uh, as a Christian or whatever you, you do, sometimes these people, they just find fault and they, they want to criticise you. You may not agree with what um, they've said or what, what they've, how they've handled themselves, but if you take um, people such as Margaret Court or Israel Folau, these people are, they identify as followers of Christ. They have a target on their backs, and people they're out to condemn them simply because of their belief in God. If you tell you if you tell the world that you follow Christ you have a target on your back too. Addressing the issue of suffering one final time, Peter puts a theological perspective on it. He urges us toward making Jesus the focal point. If Christ suffered, why shouldn't we? We have no right to expect better treatment from the world than our Saviour did. It's worth noting the word suffering and its derivatives are used 21 times in this epistle. Peter significantly always refers to Christ's redeeming work in terms of his suffering for us rather than um, dying for us. By rooting our perseverance in the person and work of Christ, Christians can always cling to the hope in the midst of suffering. If you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. It is especially true for those that take the forthright stand for Christ, um, for Christ becoming the object of, um, of savage attack. Satan doesn't waste his ammunition on, um, on nominal Christians. He turns his big guns to those who are making a difference. You've heard of the saying, no pain, no gain. Well, this is especially true for being a disciple of Jesus. It isn't strange for people who have lived long enough to realise what Paul Brand, the missionary surgeon in India, wrote in his book, uh, The Gift of Pain. He says, I've come to see that pain and pleasure come to us not as opposites, but as Siamese twins, strangely joint and intertwined. Nearly all my memories of acute happiness, in fact, involve some element of pain or struggle. I've never heard anyone say the deepest and rarest and most satisfying times in their life um, was when they were experiencing extended um, ease and earthly comfort. Nobody says. Nobody says that. It's just not true. What's true is what's, what Charles Spurgeon said. They who dive in the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. Will you do anything to have rare pearls? Are you willing to dive into the sea of affliction? Christ was willing. He knew about you, He knew about me, what we've done. He knows that we deserve nothing less than eternal punishment. But he's ready to save us. He looked down on us and, and said, Because of you, because of your sin, I'll endure rejection, flogging, mocking, being spat upon, being crowned with a crown of thorns, Even the pain of crucifixion. But my blood will cleanse you from all sin. Are you willing to join him? Peter writes in verse 12, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes to you to test you. Suffering is a test. As Christians, God uses suffering to refine us, to purify us. Um, We should be unreservedly uh, giving ourselves to God in our sufferings. Think of life, I guess, as a classroom. There will be tests, evaluations and observations and what we learned. The testing of our faith... Often reveals our increasing maturity. Just like a classroom, tests in life are not strange, they're expected. If you're using an old version of the NIV, in verse 12 it mentions a painful trial. A more accurate translation that is used in newer versions is a fiery ordeal. The image of fire is often applied to testing or persecution even in modern conversations. You you might have heard the saying, he's really going through through a fire, through the fire. It's a typical sort of description we use to describe someone going through some tough times. In the Old Testament, fire was a symbol of the holiness of God and the presence of God. The fire on the altar consumed the sacrifice, but Peter saw in the image of fire a refining process rather than divine judgement. It's important to note that not all the difficulties of life are necessarily fiery trials. There are some difficulties that are simply a part of human life and almost everybody experiences them. Unfortunately, there are some difficulties that are being that we bring on ourselves because of disobedience and sin. Peter mentioned those in 1 Peter chapter 2 and 3. The fire the fiery trial that he mentions in 1 Peter 4, verse 12 comes because we are faithful to God and stand up for what is right. It is because we bear the name of Christ that the lost world attacks us. Christ told his disciples that people would per- persecute them as they had him because their persecutors do not know God. If you have a look at the word happening, it's important. It means... To go together, persecution and trials do not just happen, in the sense of being accidents. They are part of God's plan, and He is in control. They are part of Romans chapter eight, verse twenty-eight, and all work all work out for the good, if we let God have His way. I love the illustration of of um, of silver being refined. It's quite rare to find a big chunk of silver in a, in a pure state. It's often, it's often uh, clumped together with other minerals. Each time the silver is put in the furnace, it's refined. The silversmith work, works with it and, and uh, as he t- as he, every time he puts it in there, um, the dross is smelted away. Each time he pulls it out, it's in a more pure form. Silver, I believe, is the is the best um, metal for um, reflecting light, and it it's like a mirror. The more pure it is, the more you can see yourself. God is like that silversmith. He is refining us until he can see his own reflection so how do we respond to sufferings well Peter says in verse 13 is a command to rejoice it says in verse 13 but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so how do we respond to suffering rejoice when you're given a test, rejoice. When you're thrown in a in a furnace of suffering, rejoice. When you dive in the sea of affliction, rejoice. In fact, keep on rejoicing, not in spite of the affliction, but even because of it. This isn't a G up. This isn't a little piece of advice about the power of positive thinking. This is an utterly radical, abnormal, supernatural way to respond to suffering. Rejoice. It's ridiculous. Foolish advice, except for one thing. God. We can't do it with our own power. It's God's power in us. It's not for the sake of our honour. It's for God's honour. When Bernie May was the head of Wycliffe Bible translation translators in the U.S., he visited a young family in in a Muslim nation. They'd been there for three years, working with a people group of about a hundred thousand, uh, and 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 um, they didn't know about Jesus. The couple had three children. Uh, all under five years of age. One of the babies was covered with, with uh, pox marks, some of which looked infected. And uh, and Bernie, he asked if the child had, had chicken pox, to which the mother replied, no, they're ant bites, and we can't keep the ants off him. Eventually, he will become immune to them, though. And so Bernie's there and he... And this is, what he, this is what he wrote. In a moment of honesty, she confessed she felt guilty because she was suffering from stress. Stress. She and her young husband came here from the mid-USA, and now they live in a place where the temperature is above 100 degrees. That's like about 40 degrees most of the um, time of the year. The children are covered with bites. A war is going on close by. Um, The helpers are in danger of being their friends. Many of the villagers are suffering from hunger and disease. They can't even let their supporters know what they're doing so they can pray for them since they're in a critical area. And she feels guilty because she's under stress. I told her she has every right to to feel stressful. I'd only been there for three days and I was already becoming, beginning to become unglued. Yet this dedicated young couple, they're laughing, they're joking and they're filled with the joy of the Lord. Literally, Peter wrote, be constantly rejoicing. The world cannot understand how difficult circumstances can produce exceeding joy because the world has never experienced the grace of God. Peter gives five reasons why we can rejoice and keep on rejoicing when suffering comes. And they all relate to God. Let's let's, uh, go through them. I've got an object here to help us remember each one. First one, suffering uh, is part of God's plan. I've got some uh, house plans here. These are plans that, um, if you follow them, you can build a house. And uh, it shows—I don't think that'll sit there. Uh, it shows uh, how big it is. It shows—it shows. It shows on, hold it like that. It shows how big it is. It shows all the different rooms. Uh, and if if you're the builder, uh, you follow these plans. Something similar and probably a bit more detailed but you follow these plans and uh, you, you can build that house so there's that design of that house that's been designed and, and there's a plan for it to, um, for it to happen um, we uh, one of the reasons that Peter says to rejoice is that we should be um, keep on rejoicing because we know that suffering is not a surprise. But it's a plan. Verse 12, it says, Friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It isn't strange. It isn't absurd. It isn't meaningless. It is purposeful. It's for our testing. Look at verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator. According to God's will. Suffering is not outside of God's will. It is in God's will. It is true even when Satan may be uh, the immediate cause. God is sovereign over all things, including suffering, including Satan. But why? For what purpose? Well, compare verse 12 and 17. Verse 12, your fiery ordeal comes to test you. Verse 17 says, For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? The point is that God's judgment is moving through the earth. The church does not escape. When the fire of judgment burns... The church is a testing, a proving, purifying. When it burns the world, either waken it up or destroy it. Verse 18. And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Believers pass through the testing fire of God's judgment, not because he hates us, but because he loves us. And his wills wills us um, to be pure. God hates sin so much that he'll do anything to burn the hell out of us. So the, the reason, number one, is that suffering is not a surprise, it is planned. It is testing to purifying fire. It proves and strengthens real faith. Richard Wormbrand, who endured 14 years of imprisonment and torture, said this I have accepted this proposal. Christians are meant to have the same vocation as their king, that of crossbearers. It is this consciousness of a high calling and of partnership with Jesus which brings gladness in tribulation, which makes Christians enter prisons for their faith with the joy of a bridegroom entering the bridal bridal room we have strong hope therefore that the sufferings of our own day will bring purity and life to many suffering's not surprising it's purposeful the second thing we share in the sufferings of christ now it's not a sword it's a cross And, uh, we all know what this sort of represents. This is, um, this this is death. This is, uh, this is Jesus, uh, dying on the cross. Not for, not for him, but for us. And so, the cross. Um, the second thing we should rejoice in is that uh, we share in the sufferings of, of Christ. Keep on rejoicing because our suffering as a Christian is an evidence of our union with Christ. Verse 13 it says, But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. We cannot, of course, share in his atoning sacrifice because um, he's the only one that can bear our sins but we can share the same kind of sufferings he endured as a man. We can share his rejection and reproach. But how do we rejoice in that? To be honest, when I think about how Christ suffered, it gives me nightmares, not joy. Why would someone want to go through that? What am I missing? Paul's also just as delusional, uh, he writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10-11, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the re- resurrection from the dead. Why are, are Peter and Paul rejoicing in sharing the sufferings of Christ? Well, notice Peter goes on in verse 13 to say... <coughs> Rejoice now, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Our joy now through our joy now through suffering is a means of attaining our joy then a thousandfold in glory. First there is suffering, then there is glory. 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verse 11 says, The Spirit predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glory to follow. Paul also says in eight, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 17, If we suffer with him, we will be glorified with him. So first the suffering and then the glory, both for Jesus and for those that are united with him. If we become embittered at life and the pain it deals with, we are not preparing to rejoice at the revelation of God's glory, of Christ's glory. Keep on rejoicing now in suffering in order that you might rejoice with exultation at the revelation of his glory. Joseph's son, a Romanian pastor, evangelist and former president of the Romanian Missionary Society, shared his story in an article called titled normal Christian martyrdom. This is what he wrote. I started to teach my wife this insight into the gospel that suffering and dying is a ministry that God might require from me. If the Lord said, Joseph, I want to seal your ministry with your life, would I say, no, Lord? I wouldn't give you that. What a glorious day it was when Elizabeth, my dear wife, knelt down with me and said, Lord, I give you Joseph for that ministry. From that day, she was the best fighter of the two of us. She always helped me to stand up under the greatest pressure and threats. After our return, as I preached uninhibitedly and wrote paper after paper, harassment and arrests came. One day during interrogation, An officer threatened to kill me. Then I said, Sir, let me explain the issue to you. Your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. Sir, you know my sermons are all over the country on tapes now. If you kill me, I'll be sprinkling them with my blood. Whoever listens to them after that will say, I better listen. This man sealed it with his blood. They will speak ten times louder than before. So go on and kill me. I win the supreme victory then. He sent me home. One of the officer's colleagues was interrogating one of my colleagues, another preacher. That officer commented, We know that Joseph's son would love to be a martyr, but we are not such big fools as to fulfill his wish. That pastor came to me to tell me that even if I wanted them to, the authorities would not kill me. That gave me pause. For years I was a Christian who was cautious and low-key because I wanted to survive. I'd accepted all the restrictions and all the authorities had put on me because I wanted to live. Now I wanted to die, I wanted to die, and they wouldn't oblige. Now I could do whatever I wanted in Romania. For years I wanted to save my life, and I was losing it. Now that I want to lose it, I was winning it. Somebody said those words before, but they would not sunk in my mind. The greatest joy I now have when I communicate with the younger generation of Christians in my country... Is that I know that they consider suffering and dying for the Lord a privilege, not a calamity. When I hear that they are in trouble, I phone them and try to comfort them. But often the response I get is this Don't worry about that. I consider this a privilege. Do you consider it a privilege to suffer for Christ? It's a reason to rejoice. Keep rejoicing because your sufferings as, as a Christian are not merely yours, but Christ's. And they give evidence of your union with Him. Third thing. We know that God is with us. I've got a mobile phone. On, on the phone, uh, I can call uh, anyone I like. I can, um, if I need help. I can call. Um, I can call the police. I can call the ambulance. I can speak to someone directly. Um, what what we can rejoice in is we, as Christians, we have something better than a mobile phone. We can rejoice because we can talk to God, and God is with us, always. So we can rejoice that we know that God is with us. Keep rejoicing in suffering because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Verse 14. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. This means at a time of great need, there is great uh, consolation. When you need support, heaven is there to give it. God doesn't leave us high and dry, but if you're like me, you might be thinking i don't know how i'm going to go uh, in suffering i'm not sure i'll be able to bear it but if you if you are christ you will be able to bear it because he will come on he will come to you and rest upon you he promises to god doesn't break promises he will come and rest on you what does that look like how will you know that help has arrived the answer is simply this. You will find out when you need it. The Spirit will reveal enough enough of glory, enough of glory and enough of God to satisfy your soul and carry you through whatever it is. Remember God resting on the tabernacle in the Old Testament? That was the presence of God. It was the Holy Spirit. That now rests upon you, upon persecuted Christians. We enter into a closer partnership with Christ when we suffer. Christ is with us in the fiery furnace. He was with the three Hebrew children that were cast into the fiery furnace. They discovered they were not alone. Christ is with us in the raging waters when people stoned stephen he saw jesus in heaven and experienced god's glory paul had many trials time and time again we read how jesus was by his side this is the joy unspeakable and full of glory that peter wrote about in 1 peter chapter 1 verses 7 and 8 and he promises to be with us at the end of the age till the end of the age in other words, suffering Christians do not have to wait for heaven in order to experience his glory. Through the Holy Spirit, they can have the glory now. This explains how martyrs could sing praises to God while bound in the midst of blazing fires. It also explains how persecuted Christians, and as many around the world today, can go into prison to death, without resisting their captors. So keep on rejoicing in suffering, because the Shekinah glory of God will rest on you. The fourth thing we can rejoice in is that we bear the name of Christ. In my work, we have a um, an ID badge, and um, this sort of uh, signifies that we work there, so it proves that we work there, that we um, that we've met all the requirements to work there, and that we will conduct ourselves in a way that um, is fitting and is in line with the um, the workplace. And so we have to show that that gets us into all the places at work, and um, it, it's yeah, it's a name badge. And uh, I guess that's like um, want us to remember that we bear the name of of Christ Um, that we can keep on rejoicing and suffering because we represent God verse 16 says if you suffer as a Christian do not be ashamed but praise God that you bear that, that name this statement must have been must have reminded Peter of his own denial of Christ Jesus Christ is not ashamed of us, though many times he surely could be. The Father is not ashamed to be called our God. On the cross, Jesus Christ despised shame for us, so surely we can bear reproach for him and not be ashamed. In Mark chapter 8, verse 38. Jesus gives us a warning that's worth pondering. If anyone is ashamed of me, he says, and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes to his Father's glory with the holy angels. Not be ashamed is negative, praise God is positive. It takes both for a balanced witness. If we seek to glorify God, then we will not be ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. It was this determination not to be ashamed that encouraged Paul when he went to Rome, when he suffered in Rome, and when he faced martyrdom in Rome. Glorifying God means showing by your actions and attitudes that God is glorious to you, that he is valuable, precious, desirable and satisfying the greatest way to show that someone satisfies your heart is keeping keep on rejoicing in them when all other support for you for your satisfaction are falling away so if you lose your job because of your faith are you rejoicing are you rejoicing in the fact that you stood up for Christ When your family disowns you because of, your, um, because of your belief in Jesus, you can rejoice because you bear the name of, of, of Christ. Keep on rejoicing in suffering because it glorifies God. Last thing. The fifth thing. So I get it off. My hands are swollen. We've we've committed to God, our Creator. This is a, a wedding ring. Um, it was uh, given to me by my wife, and um, on my wedding day, and it symbolises our love for each other and our commitment for each other. It, um, It is a commitment. It's a lifelong commitment. One that uh, I will always hold on to. So finally, we should keep on rejoicing because our Creator is faithful and we should be committed to Him. Verse 19 says, So then those who suffer according to God's will, should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. When we are suffering in the will of God, we can commit ourselves into the care of God. Everything else that we do as Christians depends on this. The word is a, uh, is a banking term. It means to deposit in, for safekeeping. Of course, when you deposit your life into God's bank, you'll always receive eternal dividends in your investment. This picture reminds us that we are valuable to God. He made us. He redeemed us. He lives in us. He guards us. He protects us. When you're investing money, you want to know it's safe and has a good return. In days of financial unsteadiness, You want to know your investment is secure. But when you deposit your life with God, you have nothing to fear. He is able to keep you. This commitment is not a single action, but a constant attitude. Be constantly committing is the force of the warning. We do this by continuing to do good. As we return good for evil, and do good even though we suffer for it. We're committing ourselves to God so that He can care for us. This commitment involves every hour of our lives, every hour of our lives. If we really have hope and believe that Jesus is coming again, we will obey His word and start laying up treasures and glory in heaven. Unsaved people have a present that is controlled by their past, but as Christians we have a present that is controlled by the future. In our very serving we are committing ourselves to God and making investments for the future. It sort of seems like a somewhat a strange um that Peter should introduce the Lord as creator at the end rather than saviour or high priest shepherd that Christ is our creator in a twofold sense we are his as part of his original creation of the new creation in either case we are the objects of his love and care it is only reasonable that we should entrust ourselves to the one who made our souls and who saved them. When the early church were persecuted, it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 24, that they met together for prayer and addressed God, the Lord God, which has made heaven and earth and sea. I noticed when Noel prayed for me before speaking, he said, the God of heaven and earth, I think. We can trust Him, and uh, we can keep rejoicing. Hopefully, uh, these five five areas five reasons have uh, encouraged you to rejoice when suffering comes your way. Let's pray. Lord of heaven and earth, Father. We want to thank you that you love us so much. We want to thank you that uh, you love us so much that you're willing to suffer and to die for us. We thank you that uh, you are always with us, that you have a plan for us, a plan to refine us, a plan to, um, for us to be more like your son. And so, Father, I pray that you will help us to rejoice uh, as we go through times of suffering. Father, help us to um, expect it. Help us to, um, to turn to you when it comes. And Lord, help us to rejoice in that, uh, knowing that you are with us. We pray all this in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you for, uh, for tuning in and uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. Blessings.